Hey there, this is It's All Good, a Block Club Chicago podcast. I'm your host, John Hanson, and this is episode 75, how a boxing gym is giving West Side kids a fighting chance. We're going to meet one of the two founders of The Barracks in just a moment. Just a few reminders for you. We have another podcast. It's called The Ballot, and as you can guess, it's all about Chicago elections, and we're into round two. So make sure you check it out. Uh, we got some in-depth one-on-one interviews with candidates. We dive deeper into issues. We find out where they get their cash from, right, and a whole lot more. So The Ballot is available wherever you listen to this podcast. Block Club Chicago also has a TV show. It's called On the Block. It airs Thursday nights at 7 on the U, Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. on CW26, and on that very channel, Sunday nights at 6.30 p.m. And if you're like, oh, I don't have cable, uh, even cord cutters, it's available all over the air on channels 26.1 and 26.2. And I have a few more reminders for you after our main story, so let's just jump right into it. Beautiful thing about a boxing club, it doesn't matter what race you are, what religion you are, what sex you are, how you identify. When you walk in, everybody's in the same platform. And you could be the baddest dude out there, but I guarantee you're gonna find somebody a lot better inside there that you would never have thought. When that bell rings, there's three minutes, you got two choices. You either finish the round or you quit. That's David Ortiz Jr. He's a lifelong Chicagoan, a big part of our city's streetwear scene, and now a champion for bringing boxing to the mainstream in neighborhoods that honestly need more gathering places for sports, especially for the kids nearby. He and his business partner Antonio opened the barracks on the border of the Logan Square and Hermosa neighborhoods in 2021. And now it's thriving, and thriving with adults and teens too, but he's working on getting more and more kids to the gym and hoping hoping that the communities will help find ways to get them there. I had a chance to catch up with David about their goals of getting a new van to bring teens to the gym. And I started by asking if boxing was in his blood. I think we inherit that. And when I say we, I, I think um, the, the Puerto Rican culture, the community, there's two sports that kind of take over the island. It's, it's handed down from generation to generation, but it's, uh, it's baseball and boxing. I think when you think of like just generational passion for the, the Puerto Rican people, the culture, people who grow up in, in New York, people who grow up in Philly and Chicago and Miami, now Orlando has a big population, um, Dallas. It, it's two sports we all we start off with, right? We learn how to swing a bat, catch a ball, and, uh, and throw our punches. So you grew up in Chicago. So was boxing something you learned early on and something you, no, you did? No, no. So it's actually a funny story. I grew up on the north side. So my father grew up up by the lake around Wrigley Field back when that was like housing. And so there was a pocket of Puerto Ricans that that grew up and, and were raised on that side. And we all kind of converged in Humble Park because of the fest and all that. But this is, you know, you got you had pockets back then. My father, he was, you know, just part of the the, the street kids back then. And um, and that's just how it was. And he did boxing. We saw my father's nine boys. Um, so it's, it's a, it was a lot of boys that my grandmother, she had one daughter, either nine boys, or eight boys, it's a lot of uncles. And so she was in charge of all of them. And so, you know, the community back then was a lot tighter Yeah. and, um, and they used to take care of each other. And so part of it, the officers, they knew everybody. And so they would connect them with park districts and whatnot. So my father went into the, to the golden gloves at that time. Um, I'll be honest growing up and I, and I make this joke. I don't think my father ever thought I had it. So he never put me in boxing. I didn't find boxing until years later. My father did teach me how to defend myself. My mother used to take me downstairs with the heavy bag. I love the idea of your mom taking you down to the bag. Oh, yeah, man. I was getting bullied one time, and uh, I didn't want to tell my dad. My mom was – she taught me this little trick. 
and uh, and it works. So she was like, you know, when he comes up to you, act like you're going to punch him and laugh. And then he's going to laugh because he's going to think you're not going to punch him and then hit him and hit him with everything he got. And uh, he won't bully you anymore. And sure enough, it worked. He ended up being like one of my best friends. <laughs> <laughs> Mom's always right. There you go. Okay. So you start to get into boxing later, but for a while, I imagine it's just a hobby, a workout, right? I mean, but did you yeah. notice that boxing helped you out in everyday yeah. life sort of stuff? Yeah. I'll, I'll be honest, man. Um, I was never the best athlete in any of the sports that I played, but I was, I was probably the meanest, the most aggressive. When I found boxing later on, I, it was on my own. And so I was just doing it purely as a workout. I needed boxing because it was cheap in the park district to just kind of stay fluid and in shape. And so as my son got older, um, he just kind of took to it. And he is incredibly good. Yeah, he's pretty damn good, I'd say. Yeah, he's uh, in when he was 16 years old, he was ranked number two in the country. And then this year, he's uh, he's ranked top 10 in the country in two weight classes. When did you decide we need to open a boxing gym? Me and my buddy, uh, Antonio, he's my partner, Antonio Benicas. He's Aunt Ben. That's the artist. So we met in high school. So as he started to find his passion project, I was already coaching, right? So I was doing everything already through boxing with my son. And I was learning and I went from just being a relatively unknown coach. And so was my son and unattached to going to different boxing clubs. And I ultimately landed at CYBC, which is a boxing club that is in the basement of a church in Little Village. These were the best kids in the country in this little basement in amateur boxing, for the most part in Chicago, a bunch of nationally ranked and national champions. So I took him there and so that he could see kind of how it was like growing up being me and showing him that he had to cut his teeth there, right? Like if every day they would just, they would get excited because they got to beat up on him, right? Right. And I told him, it, this isn't going to stop until it does. And uh, he just continued to elevate, 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 and ended up being one of the best boxers out of the gym as well. Um, so after that, the pandemic hit. And really, I, I have to give credit to to Antonio saying, listen, man, it's about time that, that we open up our own boxing club. You know, he, he was pushing me, uh, giving me credit for pushing him. You know, let's do this thing. I, I don't think that we need to prove anything to anyone. We just need to show everybody. And but we did it. We did it. We built it around my son. Antonio did a great job in designing the space and the layout. And in the beginning, it was hard. I mean, it was risky. It was, excuse my language, but it was ballsy to to open up a club in the pandemic. Right. Restrictions and funds were getting dried up. Uh, we weren't getting loans from the government. We And, we you know, we opened up with our savings, man. And in the beginning, uh, John, I'm not even going to lie. It was a struggle. We had to keep putting money in the account. We had to keep paying for the bills out of our own pocket and just have faith that people are going to come in and they're going to see the value. And, you know, the one thing that we had is Jeremy, my son, the workhorse, he was our marketing strategy. He, as long as he continued to go out there and win and to put the name on the map. And as long as I continued to be in that corner and pull people in to train with them, it was an Antonio pumping from the outside and, uh, and our support with my wife and our families. We were able to get it done, man. It was insane. At what point do you say, all right, so the barracks is going well. We have gotten, you know, buy-in from people in the community. We need to get more kids here. We need to get more yeah. students into this. When did that become a goal of yours? In the beginning, the goal was like, okay, who are we? And then it was like, started getting packed. So we're like, okay, let's uh, let's start separating the groups and let's see where our growth is, right? And let's see what the pockets are that we're filling and the voids that we're filling, right? The adults, it's easy to get memberships and to find a boxing club. We started to realize that there was a real gap in families, right? Like like teenagers and, and kids with, with uh, boxing. So when we targeted Hermosa, it was strategic because it was close enough to Humble Park and close enough to like Belmont, Craig, and Logan Square for, for families that needed to drive in. When we really started to look at where our growth was and, and the people that were coming in, 
I mean, we grew our business off of referrals from mothers who, uh, single, you know, single family. That she will come in and she'll have three kids and she'll sign all three kids up and then the mother will sign up. Whoa. And so we just started passing discounts and we realized, we said, we're a community club. You know, we didn't know that this was going to be as big. We didn't know that the void was that big. Over, I would say, a span of two, three months, we just started to get more and more kids and families coming in. And um, we started working with all of them and making sure that our club was all inclusive, right? You could have the most elite amateurs. You could have people who are just doing it for fitness and it gives you that feel and that aesthetic. But you have this core of grassroots programming that really started to drive it. And and it opened up the doors for us to talk with the nonprofit communities and, and the groups that are driving those programs, that are getting the funding for it. What is it about boxing that you think is a benefit to younger people in our city? I would go even larger than that, John. It's um, Boxing is used in so many metaphors, right? Like I, I work in business. I wasn't taught this. I, I landed in this through generational ceilings that I wanted to break through. Boxing in itself is, it's used in metaphors. It, it's been so cliche for years where it's like, you have to come from you know, the hood or some poverty level to be good at this sport. And that's not true. Boxing serves so many gaps that we have as a community. And the sport itself allows for an outlet. It teaches self-control the way martial arts does. It teaches discipline the way martial arts does. But what it also teaches is the ability to be okay. It's okay to take an L today because tomorrow you get another shot, right? And I think a lot of the youth deal with so much pressure to try to fit in to not look like a punk, to not look like you're weak. A lot of what we do right now is teaching people it's okay to take an L because you get to fight later. And it may be a different fight, but it's the fight, right? It teaches them to, to fight through things, to face their actions, right? Like my son, the most timid, he's an introvert. Um, he uses this as therapy. I've been working with him as well and his growth as a young man because there's a lot of challenges to try to meet the standards. But you would never know that he is who he is and he can do what he can do. Like I got girls who come in and they get the little bloody nose man, and they're, they're tougher than the boys. They'll go and whoop them, right? But it's because they have so much to prove inside. And without that outlet, without that mindset, without the ability to show it, it, it becomes internalized. I tell parents all the time, you may come to the club. Your kid may not ever do the sport, but what you'll learn here, the self-control, the okay, this is okay. I don't need to win this one. I can win the next one. Boxing also teaches the long game. It's not about the quick one. It's not about the one round or the knockout, right? It's about round three, round four, round five, stamina. And if you can learn that, then you'll learn how to be successful in life because the first couple of things you may fail at, right? But it's a 12-round fight. One of the challenges you have, though, is literally getting students to the gym, right? Yeah. So yeah. now you've kind of really started this effort to get a van. The real work here between us and the groups that we work with is selling the community on, right? Selling these youths that don't have um, a, a two-parent household, um, that don't have stability at home, that that may or may not even have a home. They have mm -hmm. to check into like centers to sleep overnight and, and aren't allowed back for uh, way, ways later, right? In the day, later in the day, giving them an, an, an outlet so that they're not out there doing something. And the some are, they benefit from transportation. Parents can bring them. The, the programming for, the, the community centers and trying to get a van is, listen, man, everybody understands what it's like growing up in the neighborhood. Sometimes we put these kids at risk just by asking them to walk to us because you're asking them to, it's, you know, to cross a street that they normally wouldn't cross, right? To walk up an avenue that they don't normally wouldn't walk up and not for any malicious or, or malintent, but because they just can't, they can't, that's just the way it is. And 
it's a lot more safer to transport them from one point to the other point. This is for everyone. And how do we bring How's everyone safe? Not just the ones who have the parents or the grandparents or the uncles or the aunts that are dropping them off, but the ones that don't have that transportation. How do we empower the community groups? And, you know, we're, we're doing that. I got to ask, and I think that this may seem like a dumb question, but for those of us naive, maybe to this world or certain neighborhoods or streets, when you say they don't walk up a certain avenue, is it because they have the street knowledge to know that something bad could happen if they walk up that street? Yeah, it's just territory, man. You know, when you grow up in the in, in the neighborhoods, like I grew up in the north side hood of Albany Park, Jefferson Park, right? Antonio grew up in Humble Park. Uh, we all converge in the same space. These are neighborhoods that are protected by by the by those kids, man, and they're very territorial, right? And so they may not initially understand that, hey, this guy's just trying to get through. They don't know whether or not he's a threat or not. So in, in a lot of these kids, they operate that way just because it's it's embedded, right? Like it's survival, man. I've benefited in my life because I've had the opportunity to teach my child how to dream, but I wasn't taught that. My father taught me how to survive. Dreams weren't real. Dreams aren't, those don't apply to us. Survival does, reality does. That's our reality. And so to get that message out to these kids, it's going to take work and you got to incentivize them. And a boxing club does that. A a program does that. But once you get that through to them, that there's more, right? You just have to work with us and 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 lean in, then we have to make sure that they're able to. We're doing everything that we can to pull them in and to sell them so that we can grow generationally, right? Change things. And the little things like getting a van is going to help so much. Getting the word out about what we're doing allows us to stack more classes, to stack more programming so that we can touch more youths. There's so much that we're trying to do in this space, but it's so pivotal and so important because as long as we don't have these resources to tap these kids, places like ours are going to be instrumental. And, you know, we do it out of out of the love. This is a passion project for us to tap in and to reach the community. And it's working, but it can work more with more help. You can go to blockclubchicago.org to read more about the barracks. And in the episode notes of this story, you can find a link to the fundraising site to help them get their van. Every day I leave my house so that my kids see that dad is always doing something. Every day. And I work every day to show my kids an example that it doesn't matter if you're having a bad day, but you have to keep pushing through and you have to find cause. You have to find purpose. The least that we can do is be there for those kids be a resource if you have the power to do something do something if you can help help if you can lean in lean in because it's not necessarily me that you're benefiting it's these kids right hey block club chicago is also on the radio wednesday thursday and friday mornings on the bob surratt morning show depends on the time and the day sometimes it's around seven sometimes it's around nine They're always available at WGNRadio.com, and you can catch a recent appearance from co-founder Seamus Toomey right now. Uh, We need some extremely local news immediately from Seamus Toomey at Black Club Chicago. Seamus, good morning. Uh, Don't you get mad when you you do this story about the, the COVID testing lab scam? Absolutely. This is a story that should make a lot of people mad. Um, we've been reporting uh, last year um, about these um, some of these pop-up testing labs. You see them all over the place. They, they f- go into uh, empty storefronts and they set up shop and they take your tests. Um, well, the feds on Monday uh, 
brought down an indictment against a, a place called Lab Elites and their owner, Zishan Alvi. And get this, they say they were they were taking thousands and thousands of tests from people. They were not processing the results and they were telling everyone they were negative. Um, this was because this was during the Omicron surge and they just simply couldn't keep up with the results according to the indictment. Um, so people would come in thinking they were uh, getting a test and they would you know, potentially go see their family after this one, when the truth was uh, they, a lot of these tests were just being thrown away. They weren't being tested. And then the ones that were being tested when they came back, some of them were positive. Um, the feds say that Alvi instructed his workers just to throw those away and not tell people they were positive because, hey, they'd already told them they were negative weeks ago. So uh, really just a, uh, a mess. Um, our Kelly Bauer, our investigative reporter, uh, broke the story uh, over a year ago and has really been all over it. So um, a little a little bit of uh, impact and progress on this one. Uh, one guy is charged so far. There were several other labs um, that were doing uh, what some of the customers thought were similar practices where uh, just didn't make a lot of sense, the results. So we'll see if anything more comes of this. But right now there's uh, there's one guy, Zishan Alvi from uh, some Inverness is uh, in a lot of trouble. He's facing 10 counts of wire fraud. Good. There might be some interesting new businesses coming soon to the Chicago-Evanston border. Tell us about this, Seamus. Right. We we talked last week about uh, how the Zenleaf uh, uh, cannabis dispensary wanted to move closer to the Evanston um, Chicago border, right at, right at Rogers Park at Howard and Clark near the L station. Well, it turns out there are now three uh, weed dispensaries that want to open in just a couple block stretch right there. Uh, one of them's on the Evanston side. Uh, and then there's a social equity uh, cannabis place a couple blocks south. Um, normally, they can't be this close, but uh, because of the, the rules that govern how the, the social equity licenses go, they can they can go just about anywhere. So that sets up this unique scenario where you could have, you know, practically like a little weed district right there by the the, the Howard Red Line stop. So uh, it already kind of smells a little bit like weed there when I get off the train sometimes. So <laughs> so now there's going to be uh, now there's going to be a lot of legal options there uh, potentially. There none of them been approved yet, but they're all on the books. And you're not going to be able to get weed, but uh, food, when you walk up to a window at a Chicago restaurant, this will be coming soon, I guess, huh? Right. This is, I, I didn't realize this, uh, but uh, the, apparently um, there's some areas in the city where you can just put in a walk-up window for your restaurant uh, without really any needed city approval, uh, but it, it's limited. So um, the city council this week is, cl- is going to clean up that ordinance. They passed a, a new one yesterday uh, that basically lets all businesses um, just have the proper zoning to open up one of those those to-go windows, which were obviously hugely important uh, during the pandemic when you couldn't even go inside the restaurant. But it's sort of become a, uh, you know, a nice little uh, way of life if you want to just uh, pick up something, you don't want to go mm-hmm. inside. So, uh, yeah, uh, it got past uh, the, the one more approval to go, but uh, everyone's pretty uh, supportive of this to help local businesses. More at BlockClubChicago.org. And you guys uh, have your mayoral interview series uh, going on. Tell us about it quickly, Seamus. Yeah. 
That's right. Um, we're actually doing these in person now. Uh, we, they, we can, we're live streaming it too, but um, if you go to uh, Thalia Hall in Pilsen today, doors open at 3.30. Our Block Club Chicago board president, Laura Washington, will be interviewing Brandon Johnson. Uh, starts at 4.30. Uh, we're going to hit him up on a bunch of the different issues uh, facing the chi Chicago should he win the mayor's election. We've got Paul Vallis on March 27th, so come on out, uh, meet some of the Block Club crew, hear Brandon and Johnson and Laura Washington talk about the city. Thank you, Seamus. Have a good day. Thanks, Bob. Well, that'll do it for It's All Good. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast and check out and consider becoming a donor to our nonprofit newsroom. You can sign up for our newsletter there, too. Read all the stories at blockclubchicago.org. Till next time, I'm John Hanson. We'll drop another pod on you very soon. <laughs>